0: Oh, <laughs> you, uh, just got me reading there. What is it? Oh, it's just a collection of short stories called Grackle on a Wire. But you're not here to talk about books, are you? Nah. You're here because you were expecting the next episode of the podcast. You wanna know what happens next in the story. It's only natural. The anticipation of what's just beyond that crest on the horizon. It calls to you. So you strain your eyes and crane your neck up and perch on your piggies to try to see that which is about to be revealed. What happens next? (laughs) Ha ha! I'd be the same way if I wasn't the one telling you the story. But I thought on this All Hallows Eve, we could take a brief detour from the Pistol Brothers. So, join me, won't you, for Saratoga Nights?
1: The Astrodome is known as the eighth wonder of the world. But up in Frisco, they got a mall as big as the Astrodome. And even though nobody gave it a different moniker, I, I bet folks were secretly hoping for one. But before they could break ground on this wondrous, sprawling ode to the consumer, Frisco was known for a different kind of wonder. Now, no one knows how the giant armadillos got there, or more importantly, how to make them leave. But one day, they appeared in droves, shambling across the town, listless and directionless as far as anyone could tell, and never once stopping to rest, which only further added to the mysterious nature. When they first appeared, many people wanted to exterminate them like pests, others wanted to capture them for study, and even more, wanted to protect them and let them roam free. These environmentalists, they wanted the day, and in the end, fences were built to keep the kids safe, roads were closed to protect their natural migratory patterns, and a tenuous balance was struck between the residents and the creatures. That isn't till one little boy, Kenneth, attempted to befriend one of the giant armadillos and hide it under his bed. He called him Grundling. His poor mother would later find the boy deceased, half eaten by the beast. There had never been any indication that the giant armadillos were carnivorous, and Though there wasn't any evidence that the animal had directly caused his death, the circumstances were enough for the county to remove all protections of the new species. Soon, the animals had completely disappeared, leaving only the occasional regular sized armadillo in the area. The scientists eviscerated the environmentalists for not letting them study the creatures when they had the chance. And though they bemoaned the missed scientific opportunities, the public had all but forgotten about the occurrence once they found out they didn't have to go
0: all the way to Dallas to get their designer clothes. Well, a lot of folks don't remember the grumbling incident these days. But I reckon you or someone you love remembers exactly where they were when they heard about the San Gabriel witch.
2: If you go a little ways up the San Gabriel River, you'll see some dinosaur tracks embedded in the limestone evidence that long before folks walked out of that primordial soup, Texas was already booming with life. Of course, a giant meteor also made sure that Texas would have an equal familiarity with death before we humans went and discovered it on our own. If you go a little further still up the river, just past the point where it bends northward, you'll find a place where the fish don't swim and where the oak doesn't grow. It's a strange phenomenon to be sure, given the lush flora and fauna that can be found at all other parts of the river, but not so strange once you know that it's in this particular spot a witch has made her home. You can roll your eyes, sure, but that doesn't change the fact of the matter that stories of missing animals and mutilated corpses along the river's edge are a dime a dozen, and that homesteaders who settled in the area knew it best not to wander too far once the sun had set, for that was when the witch was most active. But daylight offered no assurances of safety either, as a group of college kids found out the hard way in the summer of 74. After a few miles hike along the San Gabriel that involved a fair amount of drinking, the students reached the bend and, already three sheets to the wind, decided to knock a few more back while enjoying the scenery. (laughs) After some time, each and every one of those kids had relieved themselves in the river, emptying their bladders unintentionally into the place that the witch called home. As the group began to hike back to their waiting car, each one of them was struck with a pain in the lower back, a pain so debilitating that they could hike no further. They were forced to lay upon the stony banks of the river, praying for some modicum of relief. It wasn't until three days later that the group was found and rushed to the hospital where doctors would diagnose each of them with kidney stones. Locals would refer to it as a curse given that the ailment would go on to afflict the group with regularity for the remainder of their days. But the doctors remained skeptically perplexed until the first of the group had passed away in only a matter of years. An autopsy would reveal the kidneys to be partially petrified, seemingly the result of an excessive amount of mineral deposits in the organs. The coroner listed the cause of death as kidney failure, as he would go on to do for each member of the group who subsequently passed away at an early age. Seemingly confirming the local suspicion, most folks these days know if you're going to look at the dinosaur tracks, best wait until you get home to relieve your bladder. Ha!
0: <laughs> Sorry, I was just emptying the old gunny sack on yon tree, and this here rattler took a swing at my nethers. Luckily, I had my wits about me, but not everyone is so lucky, especially after midnight. So, uh, let me get the skin in this little bastard while you listen to the next story.
3: Carlo and Emmy were trying to rekindle something that more likely than not should have been smothered long ago. The spark of their initial romance had quickly grown into a roaring fire that, after years of raging, was now but a smoldering mess. In an attempt to replicate their first date, which they both agree was magical, the couple planned a night on the town, but nothing was the same as it once was. The bar was closed for a tax lien. The restaurant was destroyed by an arsonist, and the park where they shared a first kiss was now a condo development. For Arlo and Emmy, the last amber between them, the one they desperately tried to feed with oxygen by the planning of this outing, had finally been extinguished, though neither of them had the courage to acknowledge it to the other. As they returned to the metered spot where they had left their car at the beginning of the evening, the vehicle was nowhere to be seen. In fact, the entire street was empty, save for the sweeping truck. Slowly moving down the row, cleaning the filth from the asphalt with its large automated brushes spinning in tandem, underneath the flickering lights of the lampposts and sundry signage prohibiting parking after midnight, Emmy said a prayer to have her old husband back. The one who was gentle and loving and caring, not this angry tempered soul that Arlo had transformed into over the course of their relationship. Arlo said a similar prayer, asking that he would not have to waste another day looking at his wife so that he could die alone. And God, or Yahweh, or whatever higher power, must have been looking down on them that night, because right at that moment, the street sweeper picked up a discarded lug nut and flung it at Arlo's head with such force that he was struck blind upon impact. And remained so for the rest of his days. Emmy would care for Arlo, and even grow to love him again, as the accident had forcefully transformed him into a gentle and loving and caring husband once more. Arlo would draw closer to Emmy as well, coming to rely upon her for his most basic of needs. For the next 30 years, the couple had mostly happy days and a fulfilling love based on mutual respect and admiration. Emmy went peacefully in her sleep. And Arlo, unable to navigate the house on his own, given his infirmed state and advanced years, suffered greatly from dehydration and starvation before eventually dying alone. Their prayers had been answered.
0: The Lord works in mysterious ways, I suppose. (laughs) But that's city folk for you, living in a concrete jungle doing the rat race. Just yada, yada, yada. Out here under the stars, though, all alone, you get to seeing some peculiar things as well. Oh, (laughs) this side's getting a little extra crispy. Let me get this guy situated while you hear this next tale.
4: A poet once said, Hell would have no flames, just a front row seat to watch your true love pack their things and walk away. If only that were true. Sundia's true love had walked away time and time again. So many times, in fact. that she was numb to the pain of it all. And yet, she never left him. Her family had long since forgotten her, selfishly consumed with their own interests, and yet she never forgot them. Her own body even betrayed her, slowly breaking down with a debilitating illness, and yet she never abandoned it. When her life finally came to an end, she faced that great veil. She cared not whether it was a street of gold or a lake of fire waiting on the other side. Either would be a welcome respite from the hell into which she was born. But the Angel of Death, upon seeing her dejected and defeated state, ferried her back to Texas and said he'd come back to get her after a while. Maybe, he said. Sundia, no longer living, and with no resting place for her soul, wandered the land until the day the Angel of Death would return once more. Cowboys would tell stories of being lost on the range, days from anywhere, and encountering this brown beauty who would shepherd them to safety. Bandits warned of her vengeance and fiery appearance. Comanche even referred to her as the Goddess of Fire and Dirt, a figure who would often appear to them in the form of a deer that would bound gracefully across the plains while blessing the land. Every once in a while, you'll still hear a story or two of this harbinger of life and death appearing in this form or that, but less so than before. Maybe that angel of death finally returned for her, or maybe she found peace on her own terms. Regardless, if you ever encounter Sundia, you'd better hope to not be found wanting in her eyes.
0: sure was some good supper. (laughs) You sure you don't want any? Well, friend, before this campfire goes out, we have just one more story for you. Life can be a cruel mistress. You might think you're a snake, but then you just end up snookered. Make the most of your days on this earth, because you never know when it'll be your last. Join us next week for another entry in the ongoing saga of the Pistol Brothers. Only on Saratoga Lights.
5: Alice drove the same city bus on the same route with the same passengers for 12 years. Every day she would shepherd people to and fro. And even though none of them knew her name, she knew their stories. She knew that Harlan owned a bookstore downtown, and Kate played Scrabble tournaments on the weekend. Marion liked Paul, but Paul didn't tell Marion that he was married. Today was Alice's birthday, but none of her passengers knew. Certainly none of them knew that today, Alice's doctor told her that her heart was too small, liable to give out with any extreme sudden increase in heart rate. In other words, her doctor said, avoid any excitement. Not an easy task given the bevy of horns and hand gestures being exchanged between commuters this evening, but Alice had driven the same bus, on the same route, with the same passengers, for twelve years. There wasn't anything she hadn't seen before. After making her last stop and bidding the remaining few passengers goodnight as they stepped off the bus, Alice only had to return to the depot before going home, where she would have to relive the confusion, uncertainty and fear of the day as she would watch the news wash over her husband. He would put on a brave face for her, and she for him, but it was sure to be as painful as when she received the news earlier. So, she took her time getting home. She picked up a bottle of whiskey at the corner, because, why not? She grabbed a couple of lottery tickets too, thinking she was due for some good luck. When she finally returned to her house, she waited in the driveway for what seemed like hours, though it couldn't have been more than a couple of minutes, stealing herself as best she could for what was to come. She entered the darkened home quietly, and seeing that her husband appeared to have gone to bed, breathed a sigh of relief at the respite granted to her. It was when she entered the kitchen that the light came on suddenly, and her husband jumped from the table, yelling a jovial HAPPY BIRTHDAY! (coughs) The startle and fright was enough to cause her heart to give out. She died on the kitchen floor that very evening. Some folks getting on the bus the next day would ask where the other lady was, but the new driver didn't know anything about her. To him, it was just another bus, on another route, on another day.
3: Been circling around you A certain level.
5: That you don't run away Shadows won't save you There's no escape There's no
3: escape
0: Saratoga Nights is written and directed by Randall Labou. Audio recording and engineering By the tortured husk of a man that used to be Matthew David Rudd Music by creepy Christopher Gregory. This episode featured the voice talents of Petrified Pepper Weeks, Invasion of the Danny Blanchard, Brian Severed Hedrick, and Night of the Living Laura Fagley. Special thanks to Scare Morales and Daniel Markham Asylum. Check out our show notes for a link to download their album. Harmony in Hell. Until next time.
3: Waiting just to see.
4: Excuse me.